RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. back at it here we are again you know closing the distance jeff myers uh we're, we're happy to have you uh, anyone who's joining us uh if you're new to this whole scenario kind of what we do we're, we're trying to unpack a little bit the the sermons from the previous day and when you're in a sermon it's not much of a dialogue really so this is an opportunity to kind of dialogue to get underneath you know see behind the scenes if you like pull back the curtain a little bit on on jeff's thinking and on the scripture and and go a little bit deeper so yeah so uh, jeff myers dan christ uh, we're here this week uh, it's always somebody mostly interviewing jeff this this week it's my turn and so that's what we're doing and yesterday um in this series the summer of love which pretty appropriate and and if you're just listening and you haven't actually come to the services i would encourage you to come because there's a a fantastic sticker collection that you're missing out on <laughs> so you know we, we want to make sure you're doing that but so that's what we're doing and so we're in the summer of love this is the second in the series and and yesterday's scripture is again for many people who read the scriptures is, is pretty powerful and and one that uh is is many people's favorites. You mentioned that it's Lindsay's favorite. It is definitely one of mine in the, certainly in the epistles or the New Testament. And and the stories and the message that you presented yesterday suggests to me that it, it speaks very powerfully to you as well. And so, you know, it's uh, Romans chapter eight, where it's asking the question, can anything ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then Paul, you know, spends quite a bit of time saying, here's all these things and he when i read it i understand a couple of things one that he had been he this is his is his letter to the romans right so we're talking at the end of his life really when he's writing this and assuming he's going to go get to visit rome so at the end of his life he'd already been through many of these trials right he'd experienced this this is not somebody kind of sitting in an ivory tower writing a, you know, some nice notes and like you said yesterday you asked the question is this just kind of a, a rhetorical flourish uh-uh. He said, I've been through all these things, and yet God's love that it was found in Christ Jesus has I've never been absent from it. It's never been absent from me. So that's one thing to kind of understand. And then 
he's writing to the church again in the midst of upheaval and persecution and all that kind of stuff to try and encourage them so the words that he uses when he when he what the the things that he says the church or people might experience again it's not just rhetorical it's like they, they were actual circumstances that people were experiencing so how do you think uh, that impacts us you know it's not likely that at least in the united states or whatever that we really face a whole lot of persecution or anything like that and so the, the stuff that he goes through seems pretty grim and dire and much more than we impact or we experience on our own so how should we read this in our own fairly comfortable setting yeah 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 good question i th i mean i think that paul he lists out those autobiographical you know nakedness uh right. you know, uh, shipwreck, uh, persecution, all these kinds of things. And, and I think for him, that's where he probably doubted God's love. Or he came the most close, he was pushed to the furthest. And so while I think I may not have experienced those traumas in my life, I do have, have I've had traumas, I've had, I've had experiences. And whatever's the worst for me, is the worst for me. And it's, I don't, I think people's pain and suffering is really hard to compare. Um, you know, like, you know, if, if, a, if you, if your kid, uh, you know, loses a tooth, right. Or, uh, or it has to get, you know, a cavity tape and that that's pain. You can't say, well, you know, there are some kids that have to go through amputations. So you should just, you should feel better about it. You know, it's like, no people suffering, um, is their own. And Viktor Frankl in uh, Man's Search for Meaning has this great description of suffering. And he says, suffering is like gas in a vacuum um, or like a container. And it just, it, it expands to the, the level of what it has. The, the human, it expands into the human heart and everyone's feels the worst to them. Yeah. And it's really hard to compare. So I, I think I think Paul is saying this is his experience. And then for, for us, I think we could, you know, whether it's physical suffering, uh, family death, there's a reason that this passage gets read at a lot of funerals and memorial services, right? Um, that those are some reasons why uh, that whatever my particular trauma, suffering, um, experience of evil, when I doubt God's love, we could probably insert those there. And um, Paul is saying God's faithfulness, God's love is even bigger than that. Yeah. And goes deeper still. No matter what it is. I, I know that for myself sometimes, again, you read a, a chapter like this and you think, look back or reflect on the calamities that Paul went through. I think it's, it's helpful that you mentioned that, that, metaphor if you like that Viktor Frankl talks about because it's easy for us to say oh this is nothing because other people whatever you know this is not like I'm not being imprisoned for my faith I'm not you know facing persecution I'm not starving or shipwrecked on a beach somewhere or any of those kind of things so I should just deal with it but in doing that we kind of dismiss our own kind of tendencies or feelings like god where are you in all of this and and so it's, it's, there's almost an arrogance, I think, on our part when we just say, ah, it's fine. I can handle it. 
mm-hmm. rather than kind of recognizing that, like you said, that our our suffering, our, our the challenges take up our space in our lives, whatever they yeah. are. And like, and Frankel survived the death camps in Nazi yes. Germany, right? Like, yeah. but he has this great empathy, which I think is why his work speaks to so many people, is this generosity of spirit to say, just because I under underwent some of the worst suffering and experienced some of the worst evil of the 20th century, doesn't mean I can't extend compassion and grace um, and empathy towards somebody who's going so, so, uh, to quote unquote something um, trivial compared to that, right? But but everybody's experience of it is unique and it's their own. And I think we have to honor that. Um, but I think Paul's point is, is that while that is a deep suffering, Christ's love is deeper still. All right. What would you say to, to people, probably not, who knows, maybe in the church, but probably out of the church that would look at that suffering or, you know, suffering that occurs consistently in, in life, you know, whether it be natural calamity of some description or, you know, warfare that brings undue kind of pain and suffering to people and say, God's love is not evident there at all. And then if God does exist, that God is just this angry, evil, malevolent being who just kind of allows suffering to occur. And if God was God, and this is Augustine's kind of, you know, if if God is all good and all powerful, why is there suffering in the world? Right? How do you respond to that in, a, in going through a passage like this and thinking about God's love in that way? So a couple things. So I think I think when it comes to the problem of evil and theodicy, um, evil will always be a problem. Why? Because if we could explain it away, then it wouldn't be so evil. Right. But it's 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 in, it's insanity. It's it's absurdity that makes it evil. It makes it when uh, when you talk to a can uh, somebody who's who's dying of cancer. When you talk to somebody who's experience child abuse when you experience when you talk to somebody who's experienced great and gross trauma in their lives and evil if you try to say well i god's going to work good things out of this or like you know you don't know just you got to be a little glass half full about it right that is an inappropriate way to talk to somebody about evil because it's incoherence and it's absurdity is absurdity is one of the things that makes it so evil okay and um and Karl Barth uses the language of absurd, like absurd, absurd, nothingness. And this is coming from Augustine, right? That evil has a nothingness to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, okay, so if, if that's true, well, what hope do we take from the gospel? Well, two, I think two big things. Number one, we are not alone in our pain, agony, and suffering and woe. That God has come into our sphere in Jesus Christ and has experienced pain, suffering, persecution, execution, torture, death, and all of that. He lost loved ones. When you think about Lazarus, him, and actually I think the story of uh, Jesus with Lazarus and Mary and Martha um, is paradigmatic for how we as Christians should approach evil and suffering. Let, let me get back to that here in a second. Okay. So, so Jesus enters it and God enters into our, our suffering, our experience of evil Okay, on the cross. And but he triumphs over it in the resurrection. And therefore, it it's a preview to coming attractions that God will 
um, in some mysterious and miraculous way overcome all the pain, evil, and suffering. Um, and there's been some really great work on this. If you want to explore more, I would say, um, oh, what's her name? It's a book called Wandering in Darkness. It's, it's I mean, it's a thick book, but it, um, she's a, a Catholic theologian. Oh my gosh. Her name will come to me later. But anyway, email me if you want that reference. But let's go back to the story of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Jesus hears word that Lazarus is sick. He, he tarries. He doesn't go right away. waits a few days. He finally gets there. Lazarus is dead. Martha um, is, you know, Mary's inside. She can't bring herself out to talk to Jesus. Martha comes out and scolds Jesus. And, and he's like, well, you know, God is, has done this, you know, something good is going to be brought out of it. Okay. She says, well, I know I believe in the resurrection of the dead at one point. He says, okay, hold on. So <laughs> he goes to the tomb where Lazarus has been buried. And in the, in the NIV, it's the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus right. wept, right? which is such a, he enters into our, into the suffering of his friends, yeah. um, these people. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. He takes the time to suffer. And I think that's, it's okay to cry, to weep, to grieve, and still believe in the hope of resurrection that one day um, God will make all things new. Um, in Paul's yeah. words. So I think that's kind of uh, the best way that I approach kind of that, those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is interesting. Jesus going there, having faith, knowing what he's going to do, and yet still kind of understood the brokenness and the hurt that had, had occurred in Lazarus's life and in the life of his sisters and, and the community and all that stuff, and just grieving for that brokenness, knowing, well, you know, right. in about five minutes, things are going to change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, wandering in darkness is... Um... The author is Eleanor Stump, S-T-U-M-P. Okay. Nice. All right. So this this is a this is a verse that right right before this verse that we read yesterday, which comes out of Romans eight, you know, is all this can anything ever separate us? Um, is a verse that I think is often abused or misused in Christendom or, or faith, where it says, you know, um, all things work together for good for those who love God according to his purpose. And, and I, you know, when I've had so many people hurt by that, you know, when they're going through difficulty or suffering, well, you know, all things work together for good as if, you know, God planned this for you and all this, this suffering. And, and I'd just like you to kind of unpack that a little bit. Cause I, I think that's a misrepresentation. I think it's a misunderstanding of how, how why suffering occurs and who causes that suffering or if there's a cause for that suffering and what that verse might mean why we can't just load that on someone who's just lost a loved one or is suffering from cancer or whatever why can't well you know here's what here's what scripture says what would you say to that well i think it's it's probably fairly unwise usually to take one verse and use that as a is kind of a, a, a ray gun to like solve their problems. It's like, well, okay, things are a little bit more complicated than just one verse usually. And we have to read it in the context. But you, 
when you're describing that, it reminds me of uh, that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where, you know, there's that duel and he chops <laughs> off his arm and he's like, oh, my arm. he's like, it's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. And they chop off his arm, his other arm. It's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh. And I love that scene because I think they're like, like kind of like sick, dark sense of humor is like they, they know that that's that we have this human predilection, Christians or non-Christians sometimes to belittle other people's suffering mm. or because I think a lot of it is we're fearful of, of like opening ourselves up to someone's pain, to someone's grief. Can we take it? What if we can't solve it? Can we enter in and just weep with somebody? Right. And I think that, um, that ability to empathize, to get in there with somebody um, and be like, I'm here with you and there's no easy solution, but I'm, it's the, what we might call the ministry of presence that I'm going to be present to you in this. And I'm going to remind you that you are not alone. And I, and I think we are the physical body of Christ being um, the physical presence of the Holy spirit with somebody to comfort them, but not to make, but we're not the ones that wipe every tears away. That's only Jesus right. Christ um, in the eschaton in heaven. Yeah. And I think there's a lot um, left to mystery. But I think, you know, it, there's J. Cameron Carter, who's an um, African-American theologian at uh, Duke, wrote a really um, interesting essay about, remember when this, I think it was this, was it the earthquake in Haiti? I can't remember if it was the earthquake in Haiti or the tsunami. And he asks, where was God in the earthquake? Okay. And, and he, he says, hold on a second, because there was all this writing out there, people, well, how could God let this happen? He said, well, asking that question, where was God, prevents us and gets in the way of looking at the historical record and the history of what allowed these people to be made so vulnerable in Haiti. Their poverty, the effects of colonialism, um, racism, and he gets in there, and all of a sudden, the problem of evil that we're blaming on God actually has really historical contingent reasons that we are responsible for. Right. That, w- that are like, it's like people are, hung- are starving of famine in the world today. There's enough food for everybody. Yeah. But we just can't come up with the wisdom and the will to figure it out. But yeah, we want to, oh God, it's your fault. It's your fault that people are starving. No, it's my fault. It's your fault, right? It's, and that's why when we, we're never without something to confess on Sunday mornings, um, that, that we sometimes forget that we are, we are parts of the whole system that allows hunger, famine, um, and evil to be perpetrated in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only the love of God demonstrated, obviously through Christ, but through, through disciples modern disciples you and i that is able to eliminate that or help reduce that suffering for others and when we don't allow the spirit to to fill us in that way we remain in our self-absorption and then it just just carries on Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely if if there's a shorter book um called the doors of the sea that was written in response by it was by uh, david bentley hart 
a guy who actually used to be, I think he's at Notre Dame now, David Bentley Hart. It started out as an essay in the New York Times after the tsunami. Um, I want to say in Malaysia. I mean, it just wiped out. Yeah, folks. Indonesia. Indonesia. And um, and he. it's a short essay that it was in the New York Times. And then they came to him. Then publishers came and said, would you expand it? And it's just, it's not a long book, but it's kind of his um, critique of some theodicies. So some response to the problem of evil and his response. He actually critiques a, a, a Calvinist kind of response to um, uh, to the problem of evil. And I think people really resonated with the book and I would recommend it because um, it's another uh, arrow in our quiver in terms of understanding um, the world and its complexity and yes. suffering and all that and the goodness of God. Yeah. Which again, I, I had a conversation, I don't know if I told you, Jeff, but a, a couple of weeks ago with uh, a young adult who I've gotten to know in this area, who's having very deep faith, crisis of faith. And basically walking away and saying, I just can't believe anymore, I, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we had a long conversation about all, all sorts of stuff. But in the end, it's like, look, I'm here. I'm part of this community. Nobody's making me be here. And you just need to know that I, the only reason I'm here is because God has intervened in my life and I'm not so self-absorbed. So, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, that's just because you're a saint, you know, and I, and I thought to myself and I said to him, well, if God doesn't exist, there are no saints, mm -hmm. you know, there's no good in the world because we have no, it's all arbitrary, mm -hmm. you know, and this is the this, C.S. Lewis said a similar kind of thing. Like, hey, where have we got this idea of good? Um, if with, in the absence of God, there is no understanding of that because we are all, we know. So while those of us who are believers come and practice confession regularly, because we recognize that our bent or our bias is nothing of good. It's all for ourselves essentially and and so uh I, and you told a story yesterday this is the first time i remember and i haven't been here very long but that you were you're pretty vulnerable in telling that story of you know getting hugged on the street corner and all that kind of stuff and i mean that that was pretty powerful of someone else communicating god's love to you in a very physical way at a time that you really needed it Right. Imagine mm -hmm. him not being present and you just suffering alone in the midst of that. But, uh, you know, you were very vulnerable, man. I, I appreciate that. It was very powerful. But those who didn't hear yesterday, can you just kind of recount or recap that story briefly? Yeah. So, um, I mean, <laughs> it's a funny story. I mean, now I'm looking back, I, I can crack up at it because it's right. just so it's so kind of nuts. And uh, this guy, Paul, is I mean, talk about a saint. I mean, he's a guy that you know, served at Habitat for Humanity for years, served internationally. Um, and we, and he had, and he had a place in my, really mentored me in a lot of ways um, and coached me up. Uh, so we had a personal relationship that he could do this and it was very appropriate. Right. It'd be different for, you know, some right, I understand brand it. of elders. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I actually, it was, I, you know, after it happened, um, and if people miss the story, I basically was um, going through a really rough time in my life, probably one of the most, um, you know, difficult and, and times of, you know, self-doubt and uh, pretty raw uh, emotionally. And I was walking with my elder who is responsible for young adult ministries with the church I was serving. We were walking down Peachtree Street, Midtown. I was walking him back to his office after our, we had lunch, a lunch meeting. 
And, you know, he asked if I'm okay. And I say, not really. And I said, I've, I, you know, it's really going bad. Things really suck right now. And, um, and I've like gotten to the place where I even doubt God's love. And he, you know, grabbed me there on Peachtree Street. He's a tall guy like me. And so you're like two just like awkward white, six, five white guys. And he holds me and begins to shake me back and forth as he hugs me uh, for like, it, for like a minute. I mean, it wasn't like, just like, like a five set. It wasn't like a mini hug. I mean, he, and he starts going, God loves you. God loves you. God loves yelling it out. And it was just such a beautiful experience of, cause he's not a guy, like he's not a hugger or like a, right. fist. it was just, and, and neither am I. So it's just so absurd that uh, in a beautiful way uh, that I experienced God's love. Um, and so I told that story. It was my last, my last sermon that I gave at my previous church. I told that story after it happened. I said, whenever I leave North Avenue, I'm going to tell that story because in so many ways um, that embodied what I thought uh, I learned from that church and what I, I learned uh, in my ministry up to that point. And so that's been a critical time. And I think I told it in one of my first few months at RPC. So people could kind of get to know me and my story. And honestly, Dan, when I read, um, when I read the passage this week, I was like, and we talked about this because I know, you know, Tony Campolo quite well. Right. He's what is the famous uh, sermon he has about? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And he just repeats it right over and over. It's Friday and it's dark and there's no hope, but Sunday's coming. Yeah. yeah. What a beautiful, good Friday. And I was like, you know, I kind of felt like that. Like I'm reading the passage and I'm like, how can you, how can you add to this? It's like, it's like the Mona Lisa. It's like, oh, let me, let's make a few edits to it, you know, or like Michelangelo's David, you know, you're like, oh, I could, let's add some skin tone to this, man. It's a little too blue, right? It's just like, it's so beautiful and it's so powerful, Paul's words, that I really felt like, you know, I was like, you know, this is the middle of the summer. There not, may not be many people there, but, you know, you got to honor the text and the text what is it? What does it call you to? And so I felt like I needed to share where I'd felt the truth of that text in my own life, um, in a powerful way. And that was that was the story that first came to mind. Right. So you're not necessarily endorsing our elders or other people just go around hugging random people in the middle of the street. Yeah. I mean, but when appropriate, and could be a, a demonstration of God's love. Right. Yeah. I just. <laughs> I can just see a few people just like, oh, maybe Jeff wants a violent hug. Right. Say God's love. You know, well, you know, RPC and other communities that there are that that group of people on the spectrum that are the huggers. So, you know, you've just opened yourself up, Jeff. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we know you're not, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there's probably not enough love in the world. So if we share a little bit, but it was, yeah. it was it's a funny time <laughs> looking back. Right. But again, I think what I found powerful, and I, th I told you after the service that, that it was powerful, because again, how do you, how do you bring more information or make this passage any more kind of solid or, or helpful than it already is? Unless I can say, this has been my experience of it, right? This has right. been my experience of God's love penetrating the deepest darkest my pain in that moment and yep. for you it was 
a kind of a quirky and odd, a, a physical kind of embrace in the middle of a crowded street corner. That's that's not how God's going to do it in my in necessarily in my circumstance or other people's circumstance. But it's a it's a a real demonstration of no matter what the circumstance or situation that the love of God found in Christ Jesus is able to to penetrate even our darkest most difficult moments that it's it's always there and that had been again that's what's so powerful about this reading clearly that is something that paul had experienced in all those things you know imagine sitting in prison when he's writing this thing for however long he'd been sitting in prison and you know mm-hmm. prison today is is a resort compared to the, the stuff they were living in right and and yet he's able to write this to them and say i know you're suffering i'm suffering too but my experiences and all my suffering that nothing None of this, even though God may feel distant, mm-hmm. the love of God it does. We're not separated at all in the love of of God found in Christ Jesus, and that yep. that's just so powerful. And so that that works for us too. Yep. In the uh, New Living Translation, which is a little bit different, it it asks this question, and I, I, I it doesn't say this in the NRSV, and so there may be some kind of you know uh, linguistic license here, but. Um, mm-hmm. In verse 35, can ever, anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And then they kind of insert this, which is un, kind of understood in the NRSV, but it's not really there so clearly. Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry? It's just an interesting way to understand it. Because yeah. again, we often go there like, oh, I must have done something or God has kind of removed God's self from me or all that kind of stuff. And yeah. And, and that's when Paul's like, not at all. Not at all. That's not an indication at all that God is removed from you at all. And so yeah. I, I think that's really, and like, that was a demonstration for you that, you know, when you are at a deep and, and a, probably a very lonely time, you're feeling alone and here's this person, you know, two, six, five white guys bear hugging each other <laughs> on Peachtree Street. I, I, you know, I, I wish it was probably too early for there to be you know all the street cameras there are now but if it's you know if it was there that'd be classic it'd be a meme somewhere like look at these guys they have no idea that that was the love of god being demonstrated at that moment it would look very funny but absolutely yeah yeah there's a uh one of my favorite sayings which kind of ties into this um a little bit is it says those who dance appear insane to those who can't hear the music oh yes it's so powerful you know and so that this guy on the street or however we express it to other people it looks like absolute insanity but we're listening to different music and so it's not insane at all right we're we're dancing by through you know through the power given by god and demonstrating god's love and that's that's what we do and so you know that the fact that every week we have opportunity to give of our tithes and offerings there's a whole lot in the world why would you give why are you giving the money that you worked hard for because we're insane because we're listening to a different different music that that has transformed us in the way that we live and i I think again that was a powerful message yesterday and and obviously the scripture is really good so hopefully you know this little talk and and i know that they they put that sermon again online and you know and it just just in and of itself that people can listen to the sermon again and go back and just kind of maybe ask themselves the question. Okay. I I haven't been bear hugged on the street, but where has 
the love of God kind of penetrated my darkness. Yeah. And, and see for themselves that, that it is real. It's really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. What are you up to this week? What, what should we be doing? You know, the, the NBA finals are over, you know, Steph got MVP finally. That's good. Now what? I know, man. I'm like, the NBA finals are over. And I just like, I, I kind of wanted to go game seven just because I wasn't ready for the NBA to be over. Now, the NBA draft is coming up. <laughs> I think this Thursday, my boy Chet Holmgren from Spokane, Washington's Gonzaga University could be the first player pick. But um, if people haven't watched uh, Drive to Survive about Formula One racing on Netflix, it's like about this. It's I would highly recommend it. I'm not like a car guy or anything like that, but it's like reality TV for um, it's like European. So it's totally out of our context for the most part. It's in these beautiful cities all around the world. It's competitive. It's high stakes. It's there's a lot of money at stake and you have these these larger than life, like kind of general managers, they call them principals who are figures who are kind of move, moving the chess pieces around in competition with each other. And, oh, it's, it's just, it's great, dude. So I would, I think there's five, four, I think there might be four or five seasons so far and they've just re-upped for several more. So it's fantastic. I would highly recommend Drive to Survive by F1 Racing. Nice. And for those of us who are not into motorsports, just saying, you know, the tour is about to start. I'm all about the tour, you know, the Tour de France. Oh, the is it? You know, I is get which is very similar in terms of European yeah. and kind of what they do, and they shut the cities down and all that kind of stuff. And the it's just about pedal power, yeah, rather than motor power. But or or about, kind of. or about juicing and not get caught. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's <laughs> well, the that's Americans a, trying to break in. You that's know? the cynical take. Yes, I understand. <laughs> All right, so we're carrying on with our uh, our summer theme, you know, the summer of love. So you're giving somebody else an opportunity to talk about the summer of love. So who's preaching next week? What's their What's their scripture? Yeah, so Carrie uh, Carrie Weatherford is going to be preaching on John three eleven through seventeen. Obviously, that includes John three sixteen, probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And so I think I want to give her, you know. Everybody, a lot of times we memorize it. We know it since we were kids. If we were raised in the church, went to vacation Bible school. But we often don't, because we think we know it so well, we don't think about it at all, yeah. which is kind of ironic. And so I, I think Carrie is going to give us her just always unique perspective on um, this great passage about love. And I think, you know, as Carrie's ministry, uh, you know, working with our children and our families, uh, adult discipleship, and uh, Stephen ministers love is at the center of what they do. Um, and I think she'll be able to tie in kind of how do we make, how does what God has done for us in Jesus, how does that empower us, inspire us? How can God's love transform us? Yeah. So I look forward to next week and I'll be on Monday. We'll be doing closing the distance, but I'll be in your seat uh, asking Carrie. Nice. That's really good. You know, I really appreciate this is kind of a little bonus round if you like, but I, you know, your preaching is fantastic, but uh, you know, Lindsay, Carrie, uh, Julie, when she was here, uh, just 
fantastic. And so I, it's in a different perspective, you know, because they're in a yep. different place and they're doing different ministry and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's fantastic to, for them to get the opportunity to kind of in the midst of a pretty important series for Carrie to kind of be in here and say, and again, one of the most well-known verses, it'd be easy to say, Jeff, not, I'm taking this one because this is it, but for you to kind of give that over and to be for us to hear, because there she is very good, and so I'm yeah. excited. I'm looking. We're forward. really blessed, and Dan, you and Randy are fantastic as well. So we're we're really blessed with a with a full uh, team that's you know very excellent in in their own unique way. So we're super blessed. Well, again, it's been it's been good. Yesterday was very you know moving for me and and very powerful, and this this series has been fantastic. So thank you for for going a little deeper with us and for those who are listening, you know, thanks. And go ahead and, and read ahead, jump into John chapter three and be ready for Carrie and, and see, if, you know, I, I have no doubt that she's going to be fantastic as well. And we're going to continue to learn and grow and understand a little bit more about God's love during our summer of love. Fantastic. Summer of love, baby. All right. All right. Take care, buddy. Thanks brother. See Thank ya. You.